Hello, this is Paul Wheeler. Welcome to a Brit Talks Hockey. This is Puck and Cover. Yes, hello everybody. Welcome to the third edition of Puck and Cover. It's the NHL season's opening day and so this podcast is all NHL all the time. Taking two minutes for previewing as we preview the season for every NHL team in two minutes or less. We're also looking back upon the World Juniors and picking out the players who shone or faded away and hearing from hockey virgins Ryan and Amy and their thoughts on the eves of their first NHL season. So let's drop the puck and get on with it, shall we? First of all, before we dive into the NHL, we have to mention the World Juniors. It's barely a week since the USA overcame Canada 2-0 in the final and proved that even a team full of first-round picks and one some were calling the best World Juniors team ever isn't infallible. A lot of the USA's win can be pinned on the tight defence and team play that meant the Canadian offensive powerhouse never really got going. Finland, meanwhile, overachieved in the eyes of many by pushing the US all the way in the semis before beating a jaded Russian squad in the third fourth place game. The undoubted star of the tournament was the USA's Trevor Zegras, who scored the crucial second goal in the final, led the tournament in scoring and was simply unstoppable. But other players like Finland's Toppy Niemela, Canada's Devon Levi and another American John Farinacci announced themselves on the Worlds, as did Germany's Tim Stutzel, while forming the line of the tournament along with John Jason Paterka and 2021 draft-eligible Florian Eliash. Many of the stars of the tournament have already headed to NHL training camps, which is a gentle way of saying it's time for the meat of this podcast episode. Now we're going two minutes for previewing with every NHL team. Get ready to dive in right now as we race through all four divisions over the next hour or so. So, yep, this is Puck and Cover's NHL preview. Two minutes for previewing. We're going to try and do every single team in two minutes or less, starting with the East Division. And our first team is Boston. Now, Beantown was left in a state of shock by the departures of both Daniel Chara and Tory Krug on defence this offseason as they appear to be moving to a new era at the back. The massive Finn, Urho Vakaninen and Jacob Zaborel are two of the players competing to fill the massive skates of both players, while Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo will be expected to become the leaders of the Bruins' defence. In front of Tucker Rask, who provides a solid foundation, his save percentage was second in the NHL among starting goal this last season. Up front, the Bruins will start the season without two-thirds of their top forward line, as Brad Marchand and David Pasternak are both long-term injured, so players like Jake DeBrusque will have to step up, although marquee free agent signing from Nashville Craig Smith will provide some cover. This is a season of uncertainty for the Bruins as they begin, though. The story of the year will depend very much on whether prospects like Jack Studnicka and Zach Sinishin can step up in what may be a transitional year in Boston. Over in Western New York, meanwhile, with the Buffalo Sabres, the buzz is all around marquee free agent signing Taylor Hall and how he messes with Jack Eichel on the top line. The Sabres have honed their edge this season after several years of development and this could finally be the year where they make a playoff run. The Rasmuses, Darlene and Ristolainen, on the blue line are both blue line studs and trade arrival Eric Stahl provides veteran leadership in a relatively young and forward core that contains a whole bunch of 20 goal scorers and newly minted WJC star Dylan Cousins, who led Canada in scoring at the tournament. The Sabres haven't made the playoffs in nine years, but expect that drought to end this season in a team that could be a sleeper pick for a surprise long run in the playoffs if the bounces fall right for them. 
The New Jersey Devils have had their off-season prep thrown into disarray with the retirement of projected starting goalie Corey Crawford, who they only acquired over the past off-season. And as a young team with two offensive stars, Nico Hischer and Jack Hughes, both only starting their second and third NHL seasons, expectations are relatively low despite the arrival of Andreas Johnson from Toronto, Ryan Murray from Columbus to partner Sammy Vatanen on defence and Dmitry Kulikov from Winnipeg amongst others in a busy off-season for free agency. New coach Lindy Ruff will have his work cut out getting this team into the playoffs, but defensive prospect Ty Smith should be a bright spot in a year where the Devils will be hoping to progress their rebuild another step along the road back to relevancy. Now for the two teams in the Big Apple, starting with the supposed poor relation of New York teams, the New York Islanders. The Oils are an exciting looking squad, often underrated by many outside the Oils bubble despite reaching the Eastern Conference final last season. Matt Barzell re-signing for three years is huge for them, but the losses of Devin Taves and Johnny Boychuk to free agency and retirement respectively means they'll have to find replacements for some key players on the blue line, with Noah Dobson and Andy Green ready to take their place. There's a change in net too, with Ilya Sorokin ready to become a full-time starter after Thomas Grice left to free agency and Derek Brassard leaves a hole up front after heading to Arizona. The Isles are looking at this season as another where they contend, which means the roster they finish the season may see several additions towards the trade deadline from the roster they start with. But they've still got an excellent base to build from and it should be another playoff year on Long Island. Now we head to Broadway and the New York Rangers. There is one name dominating the build-up this season for the Rags and that name is, of course, Alexis Lafreniere. The number one overall draft pick is likely to be one of the most exciting players in the league from the get-go this season and the prospect of him at some point sharing a line with some combination of Mika Zabanijad, Artemi Panarin and Carpo Kako is frankly mouth-watering and a show worthy of Broadway by itself. Add to that a secondary cast of forwards including Philip Chittil, Chris Kreider and Ryan Strome and there's a true star-filled production up front gracing the stage of Madison Square Garden. Defensively, the Rangers have to decide whether Tony D'Angelo's toxic off-ice presence is worth on-ice points. Spoiler, they will, at least for now. But Gay-Andre Miller will be pushing hard for top six minutes this season. An underrated player to watch also is Adam Fox, who provides secondary offence from the blue, although Jacob Truba is the acknowledged defensive leader. In net, Igor Shesterkin is the next one, taking King Henrik Lundqvist's throne and making it his own. The Rangers are a team who will consider anything less than a playoff run failure with the cast they have this year, and the Rags Isles rivalry in the NHL's divisional format this season could be one of the most exciting rivalries to watch in the league this year. Speaking of teams who consider a playoff run a necessity, a team beginning to enjoy a new renaissance and filled with exciting talent all across the roster, the Philadelphia Flyers are a team where the fun is well and truly back. They're a team who live by their anytime, anywhere mantra and Carter Hart is superb in goal. Meanwhile, the defence is filled with young talent like Travis Sanheim, Philippe Myers and the incredible Ivan Provorov, and amongst the defence are at least seven defencemen who played 40 NHL games last year. Up front, this team are loaded down the middle with Travis Konechny, Selkie contender Sean Couturier and the returning Nolan Patrick, and that's before you consider the up-and-coming centres like Morgan Frost and Isaac Ratcliffe waiting in the wings. Also waiting in the wings are a mix of elite talent like Claude Giroux, James Van Ringsdijk and Jacob Voracek, and role players eager to impress like converted D to power forward Sam Moran and Russian German Rubsov. This team is a Stanley Cup contender without doubt. If it can survive the absolute brawl for supremacy the Eastern Division will be, then the sky is the limit for the Flyers. 
From the Flyers, we cross Pennsylvania to their biggest rivals, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Perennial contenders, the Pens have been somewhat lost in the shuffle in the East this year. They still have some of the best players in hockey, including arguably the best of the 21st century in Sidney Crosby, but their stars are ageing and they have an unproven full-time starter in netting Tristan Jarry. Forwards like Jason Zucker and Jake Wenzel will be relied upon along with new arrival but returning ex-Pen Kasperi Kapanen for secondary scoring. Defensively, is the same as it ever was for the Pens with Chris Letang the linchpin and relatively new arrivals Mike Matheson and John Marino, his key support. The Pens will likely be in or around the playoff picture. This is, after all, a team that's won the Cup twice in the last five seasons. But they've stood still while the rest of the Atlantic division has got a lot better and in a strong Eastern division, the format may work against them over a season. Just like their deadly rivals, the Washington Capitals. After finally climbing the mountain in 2018 and winning the Cup, the Caps have had a few quieter years and are likely on the downslope of this generation of players. Alex Ovechkin is still one of the best players of this or indeed most other generations, but he's not getting the service he was from Yevgeny Kuznetsov or Nicholas Backstrom. Kuznetsov in particular is providing an average of three less high-danger chances a game than he was even two seasons ago. And while the rest of Washington's top six is still a very good group, Jakob Vrana being the highlight, it's not a terrifying group like it could have been. Indeed, Washington's top line even produces slightly less than it should, statistically. To do that with one of the best scorers of all time on it is some feat. Defensively, the Caps are, well, John Carlson and everyone else. Zdeno Chara, the big free agent acquisition, is going to toughen up the defence and add a booming shot on the power play. But let's not forget, folks, he's 43 now. Carlson is an elite two-way talent, but he'll have to do most of the play driving himself, and that could be a problem if the opposition key in on him. In net, this is Ilya Samsonov's team now. With projected backup Henrik Lundqvist having to all but retire, the number one job is the Russians, and he looks in a good position to take it on after developing strongly last season, but the question will still be just how good is he as a full-time starter. This might be the start of a sunset for the Caps, and it's eminently possible in this stacked divisional format that they miss the playoffs. The first half of the season will determine whether they make one last run at the deadline or begin to look to the future. That's one division down. We've got three to go. Let's move on to the central division and start with the Carolina Hurricanes. The Bunch of Jerks are one of the most settled teams in the entire NHL right now. They've only made one major addition to the squad this season, and even that one is in the bottom six, picking up Jesper Fast for some speed on the wings from the New York Rangers. Goaltending is perhaps a question, with the tandem of Peter Mrazek and James Reimer good, but by no means great. Defensively, they're full, though, of underrated talent like Jacob Slavin, Jake Gardner and Hayden Fleury. Adding former first-round pick Jake Bean to that group makes for a strong top four. It's up front, though, where the Hurricanes really look like brewing up a storm. Sebastian Ajo and Toivo Teravainen are a one-two punch at wing to rival any in the league. And if the Canes can find consistency that was lacking at times last season and make it out of a tough division, they can worry a few supposed powerhouses this season. This will be another year where they make progress and if the chips fall right, another playoff run is definitely not out of the question. Second in our Central Division preview are the Chicago Blackhawks. The Blackhawks are a shadow of the team they were early in the 2010s. With questions at goalie, defence and up front, this is likely going to be a very long season on the shores of Lake Michigan, even if the number of games is less. Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dach are missing for extended periods, leaving a huge hole up front that Alex Dabrinka and Patrick Kane will be counted upon to fill. 
Dylan Strome and Alex Nylander are the next in line, but they're both injured, and the Blackhawks are pinning a lot of their hopes on Swiss import Pierre Suter from free agency. This doesn't bode well. Defensively and in net, the picture is even worse. Duncan Keith is a shadow of the player he once was. Adam Bockfist is still developing into the next elite Hawks defender but isn't there yet. And the rest of the defence behind him is a collection of players who are more warm bodies than stars, although Ian Mitchell is an intriguing prospect. In net, the almost rookie starter tandem of Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban means that the Hawks will have to score a lot of goals to be sure of winning games, and they simply haven't got the players to do that. Arguably, missing the playoffs would be ideal for them this time round. The Blackhawks are a team that have to go down before they go back up, and now would be the ideal year for that to happen. Meanwhile, in Columbus, questions over the future of star forward Pierre-Luc Dubois have dominated the off-season in Ohio, but what isn't in question is that the Blue Jackets are a good team, even missing one of their top goalscorers in Gustav Nyquist to start the season. They smother opponents defensively and have Dubois and Oliver Bjorkstrand as a top-line pairing, Max Domi and Cam Atkinson on the second line, and young talent like the exciting Alex Texier, one of the most underrated players in the NHL, and defensively, Seth Jones and Zach Wawenski are elite linchpins of a very good defensive unit. In goal too, Junas Corpisalo and Elvis Merzalikins are a solid pair that mean the Jackets have a team very good at everything, if not elite at anything. That's enough probably to make them a playoff team in the Central Division, especially with both Chicago and Detroit to feast on. The trouble is that with the rest of the Central all being equally likely as playoff teams, the Jackets will have to bring that smothering defence every game to make sure they're in the mix this time round. Next in our Central preview are last year's losing finalists, the Dallas Stars. The Stars came within one game of the Stanley Cup last year and will want to take that extra step this season with the roster largely unchanged although they will be missing goalie Ben Bishop and forward Tyler Sagan to start the season, who are two key players in any roster. However, the talent to replace them is more than capable. Anton Kudobin was one of the best goalies in the NHL last year and will likely get the majority of the work until Bishop is healthy, though young backup Jake Ertinger was a star in college and is capable of spot duty. Defensively, Miro Heiskanen is one of the elite young defenders in the NHL, possibly only surpassed by Colorado's prodigy Kale McCarr, of whom more later and he's only the first in a top 10 defensive group that also contains names like John Klingberg, Asa Lindell and Jamie Alexiak. Up front, Jamie Benn and Alex Radulov are the focus with Sagan missing, supported by emerging stars like Rupert Hintz and Radek Fraxer, and veteran presence in Joe Pavelski. A lot depends on how the stars manage to keep going until their elite injured players return. If they can keep in the mix in the central until then, they'll likely make the playoffs. Trouble is, they'll have to go through last year's nemesis tamper in the regular season. If they can pass that test, then expectations in Texas will once again be like everything else in the state, bigger than anywhere else. At the opposite end of the Central Division, the Dead Wings are well and truly back in Detroit. In another rebuilding year, after the Red Wings were the worst in the NHL last year, outside of the undoubted bright spot that is speed demon Dylan Larkin and the continuing development of Philip Zadina, this is definitely not a team to get excited about. Outside of the top line of Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi and Anthony Manta, the wings are composed of anchors around Zadina. The bottom six in particular are just a murderer's row of pure bad. And worse, it's not even young and potentially improvable bad, it's old players like Valtteri Filppula, Franz Nielsen and Darren Helm. Ouch. Defensively, the picture's not much better. Thomas Grice is going to have a lot to do in net because the players in front of him are a goalless nightmare. While Philip Hronek may have some offensive upside, names like Mark Stoll, Troy Stecker and Denis Chalovsky are names to make a goalie wake up screaming in the night. 
This will be a season to be endured, not enjoyed in Detroit, especially with the divisional format. But hey, Wings fans, it's only 56 games, right? Even you guys can't lose them all. Next, we come to something of an enigma in Florida. With Sergei Bobrovsky in net, inciting forward talent like Sasha Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau and a defensive rock in Aaron Ekblad, the Panthers should be a playoff team, right? Trouble is, their supporting cast, which due to spectacular mismanagement by Dale Talon in the front office has often been a rotating cast of bad, is this season still slightly questionable. This season it has improved, but it's probably not enough to make them a playoff team in the central. Anthony Duclair is a player to watch, he's always been a useful scorer and has a point to prove yet again in Florida. Names like Brett Connolly and Noel Atiari don't inspire a huge amount of confidence in the supporting cast though, both are bottom six players being asked to play top six roles. Defensively, the theme is much the same. The Panthers' defensive group behind Ekblad is made up of fading talent like Anton Strawman and anonymous but useful depth players like Marcus Nutivara. In a very strong division, that's probably not going to beat the likes of Tampa Bay and Dallas often enough to push the Panthers into a playoff place, but it is going to leave them in mid-draft limbo for yet another year, the worst of both worlds. Now for the Music City, Dashville. This year is Pekka his last dance in net for the Predators, with Yuso Saras waiting behind him and likely taking the starting job this year, the Vinny era is coming to an end, and it's not the only one. The Predators are a team that could be anything, but what are they going to be, most likely? Underachieving. They have star names like Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne up front, but the rest of the forwards are almost placed into a line blender, with Nashville's coaching staff last season seeming to set their lines by throwing darts at a roster. Individually, players like Ely Tolvanen are exciting, but as a group, the Preds' forward group is anonymous. Can you name any forwards on Nashville that I haven't already not called Ryan Johansson? See? Proves my point. Defensively, the top pair of Roman Yosi and Ryan Ellis are elite, but after that, poor Marcus Eckholm is out there on Scrub Island. Dante Fabro does have a hope of improving, being only 21 and a heralded prospect when drafted, but Mark Borowiecki and Matt Grelchik are notable more for their tongue-twisting names than their star quality. The Preds will likely be hovering around the playoff bubble and could, if all falls right, sneak in, but you sense that the music might be a little muted in Nashville this year. Finally in the first half of this NHL preview and finally in the Central Division, we look at the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Defending champions is the place every team wants to be in and the Lightning are looking very settled in that particular position. Even after losing star and offensive magician Nikita Kucherov, the Bolts still have four lines that all rank in the top ten in hockey. And when Steven Stamkos barely makes your top five players anymore, then you are, my friends, a preposterously deep team. Braden Point, Yanni Gord, Andre Palat, Anthony Civelli, the star, nor- the, star- the star names just keep coming up front and that's without possibly losing Tyler Johnson to waivers as well. Defensively, the Bolts have the best left side in hockey. Viktor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev are ridiculous, and Hedman in particular can have any player on his right-hand side and still crank out elite-level numbers as a pair in some kind of defensive sorcery. The Bolts have a 12% chance of repeating as cup winners, which in a 31-team league is simply obscene. Perhaps the best way to finish this first half of the preview and demonstrate just how strong they are is to point out that the Bolts are probably finding a weak point only in net. Their goalie, by the way, is Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, when Andre Vasilevsky is considered the weakest point, elite doesn't seem sufficient a word. And that concludes the first half. 
We're halfway through the NHL now and we'll be previewing the West and North Division shortly. But right now we're going to take a brief break from talking NHL previews and hear from our hockey virgins Ryan and Amy once again on their thoughts on the World Juniors, their thoughts on their teams this season and a very bold Calder Trophy prediction indeed from Ryan. Before we do though, just a quick mention that with Great Britain being in coronavirus lockdown, we had to do this over Zoom and that accounts for why the audio might be a little bit echoey occasionally. Just giving you a fair warning of that one. Either way, here are Ryan and Amy. This is Hockey Virgins for this week. Hello again, Ryan and Amy. Happy New Year. I'm sure we've said this already. <laughs> so the first the first thing we need to address then on this edition of Hockey Virgins, before we even talk about the NHL starting, is how smug Ryan is. He predicted right. That he predicted the World Juniors prediction right. I gotta admit, it was it it was a time for change. That, time. It, that, that it was. Ryan dropping the political slogans in. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's logic of the best metal bands come from Sweden, so I'm going to pick them. Yeah, <laughs> did work out very well. But all I'm going to say, I want to get, I want to get a shout out in here because Canadian metal bands are pretty good as well. I'm just going to give a shout out to Unleash the Arches from Vancouver. Yeah. Because it'd be rude not to. <laughs> of course. Just to point out that arguably, does this prove Canadian metal bands are better than Swedish metal bands and American metal bands are better than both for you, Amy? Or are we not using that logic? Of course, Ryan, we'll talk about you first of all because one of the big stars, if not the star, of the World Juniors was Trevor Zegras, and he is what are yours as an Anaheim Ducks fan, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, you know, it literally would be mental if they didn't plan to, like, sign him on later on in the season, something like that. Do you not think he'll start the season then? Because obviously we're still in training camp at the moment. I know we're in training camp, but he's just been in Edmonton. So, flying from all the way to Anaheim to Edmonton, he then got to self-isolate for a couple of weeks, so then, like, you know... So, I mean, he probably, he'll most likely miss a couple of games, but later on, he might be a part of it. Calder Trophy, best rookie in the NHL, do you think he could win that this year? Then, Trevor Zegras will probably get that. He was, most of the time... Not at least, but top of the top chart. You're calling Trevor Zegras to upset Alexis Lafreniere for the Calder Trophy. Yeah, that's that's a very very that is a very big call indeed. You know, you're you're going straight in. You're not mucking about, to say the oh. least. He was such a good player, though. Like he he worked his ass off. Can I say ass? Which <laughs> <laughs> <Just> did man? <laughs> yeah, you just did. There we go. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. That's a that's a that's a the hockey version take. If it happens, 
if Trevor Zegras somehow beats Alexis Lafreniere to the Calder Trophy, you know, just saying Alexis Lafreniere that like every NHL journalist has picked to be best rookie of the year, <laughs> then you will you will become a hockey genius. And I'm just, I'm just I'm just stepping aside. Yeah, I can covers now my show. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we're talking about the Anaheim Ducks, Amy, you've been looking at the Blackhawks that are perhaps going to have a tough year. They will reckon. have a tough year, but it's good that they want to give like more young people more opportunities. So because obviously missing their captain, who's ill. Jonathan Taves and a bunch of others as well. It's going to be yeah. an interesting team game, but they're they're all going to have to learn to just get on with it. Do you think they can make the playoffs? Yeah, definitely. You're an optimist still. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll take. I'll take <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you guys have just got no fear with predictions. You're just going straight in with the, yeah. My player's going to win the Calder Trophy, and yeah, my team, despite losing its captain and a bunch of its best players, is going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I might not be saying that in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> we, we will see. What? Now you've seen the World Juniors, what are you looking forward to most about the NHL? Just if you had to sum it up, like, as complete newbies. Just like the atmosphere, really. You're just looking forward to seeing if this thing that I've hoped to, hoped up for ages is as good as I said it was. Yeah. To be fair, that and maybe like the, the like the thrill of like watching like the scores and stuff like that. What for a team you've actually for a team you actually like have picked as yours rather than. Yeah. So like watching the ducks. Play, do the playoffs and watching the highlights and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, it will be a bit of a challenge watching it in the UK, but uh, you know, I can still follow it on social media. I'm, I'm quite a, a night owl, I suppose. Yeah. So, I mean, I probably will end up following maybe a, a match from the Ducks or even a different match from a mm. different team. To be fair, are the pair of you like are the pair of you able to stay up till three thirty, four a.m. though? Do you reckon? Even with us all working from home because of COVID nineteen. Yeah. I mean, I can. <laughs> I mean, I can, but um, yeah, it can be. It's going to be a bit difficult sometimes, but with a bit of cups of tea, the British yeah. way, we'll be ready by the four. By the time it's four o'clock. <laughs> right then, we will see. Then it all starts on Wednesday. Yeah. So, in the next podcast, we'll get your thoughts on the first couple of games and go that way. So the best, the best of luck to both your teams. And honestly, at this point, I'm hoping Trevor Zegras gets the colder now. I'm gonna like, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> do one of those like sort of silly things to shave my hair off for the fact Trevor Zegras won. <laughs> you put it here first, guys. There you go. You. <laughs> That's a bet. We'll take that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to shave my hair. Maybe my beard or something like that, but not my hair. <laughs> Radio. That is Ryan and Amy. 
in this week's Hockey Virgins with some big predictions for the start of the season. You'll be hearing more from them again, obviously, in future Puck and Cover editions. But for now, stay safe, the pair of you, and thank you very much. You too, Paul. That is Ryan and Amy, the Hockey Virgins. Thanks to them, we'll be hearing more from them throughout the season as the NHL gets well and truly going and keeping a close eye on that Calder Trophy race and Ryan's prediction too. But now back to two minutes for previewing. This time it's the True North, or if you prefer, the Canadian division, starting in Calgary. One of the most extensively renovated teams this off-season, the Flames come into this shortened year with a new starting goalie in Jacob Markstrom, a whole bunch of free agent reinforcements up front and some exciting prospects on defence as they go after a deep playoff run following a first-round loss last season. In net, Markstrom and David Rittick have a solid tandem to build from and in front of them elite offensive talent and captain Mark Giordano anchors a blue line that also has young guns Rasmus Anderson and Yuzo Valimaki to look forward to this season, supplementing the efforts of star forwards Sean Monaghan, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. The Flames have a deep squad though and it'll be interesting to see how free agent signing Dominic Simon impacts the group, especially as he's an elite puck retrieval player and can perhaps help provide the chances for Gaudreau and Kachuk to finish. With the epic Battle of Alberta set to take place eight times this season, how the Flames do could have a huge impact on their playoff chances with Edmonton likely to be one of their main rivals in the dogfight. This is a motivated Flames team that might have flown under the radar, particularly for Eastern Canadian teams, and it'll be interesting to see just how far they go. Speaking of the Battle of Alberta, let's have a look at the other side now, the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers are a team of contrasts. Elite offensive talents like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl sit uneasily on the same roster as defensive black holes like Adam Larson, fallen mighty talents like Tyson Barry, and questionable goaltending like Mike Smith, but they're still good enough to likely be a playoff team in a 4 from 8 Canadian division that still contains the hapless Senators and is much of a muchness around the bottom two playoff places. The Oilers aren't a bad team per se. In fact, offensively, they're arguably one of the better teams in the league now McDavid and Dryside will have a supporting cast that might complement their scoring, names like Kylie Yamamoto, for example. But they're also not a great one either. As a whole, that wasting elite talent has been a meme in Edmonton for years, and this team too, while maximising it as much as possible, will go where McDavid and Dryside will take them. Unfortunately, there's a limit to how far even these two can take a squad. They'll likely be in a dogfight for playoff places, along with most of the rest of the division, but how far they go beyond there is anyone's guess. From Alberta, we move east to Quebec and the Montreal Canadiens. The Habs are running out of time to get Carey Price, the Stanley Cup, his elite goaltending has seemingly deserved at times in the past, but this year they're in a good place. Indeed, no team has benefited more from the divisional realignment and the four-from-each-division playoff format than Montreal have, who at this point look like the second-best team in Canada. Price, in his career, is a streaky goalie, but still has the potential to hit scorching form and carry his team to wins, and Jake Allen is a more than capable backup to keep Price rested enough to stay hot. Defensively, Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie are the rocks the Habs are built on, and around them serviceable role players like Joel Edmondson, Alex Romanov and Ben Chiaro plug the gaps in a group that, aside from Weber, has no real NHL star names, but is much more than the sum of its parts. Up front, Philip Dano might be one of the most underrated top-line centres in hockey, and Brendan Gallagher and Thomas Tatar alongside him make for a very good trio. 
It's the depth in the Habs roster that's exciting though. Josh Anderson, Jonathan Drouin, Tyler Toffoli and even fourth liners like Paul Byron and Joel Armia mean the Habs are a threat all the way down the lineup. Add the talent of Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki to that and, well, you get the picture. The Habs were Cinderella's last year, or Sondrion to comply with Quebec law, but this year they are a known threat. They should make the playoffs behind Toronto and from then on it's all about building another storied playoff run, something they know all about at the Bell Centre. From Quebec to Ontario now, and from one team that's almost a playoff lock to the team that in a division with seven playoff threats is the other one. The Sens are making no secret of the fact they're in a rebuild, and the trophy they're most likely to contend for this season is Tim Stutzel chasing the Calder as top rookie. But that's not to say there aren't signs of hope. Young talent like Alex Formanton, Josh Norris and Drake Batherson will have another developing year, and Brady Kachuk will keep doing his thing. But apart from that, there's very little up front, apart from free agent arrival Yevgeny Dadanov as a real top six threat. Maybe Connor Brown as well. Names like Colin White, fallen star Alex Galchenyuk, who's fallen off a cliff since his Montreal days, and others don't inspire huge confidence. And defensively, apart from Thomas Shabbat, the sends of an absolute goal is graveyard. That's bad news for Matt Murray, who will be expected to face a whole lot of rubber after being deemed surplus to requirements in Pittsburgh in free agency. Like Detroit, this is going to be a very long year in Ottawa, one that will likely see a lot of painful lessons learned. Still, there's always Tim Stutzel, Sens fans. On the other side of Ontario, though, expectations are sky high. This has to be the year the Leafs really go for it, right? With Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander all entering or in their primes, and supplementary players like Joe Thornton, who despite being over 40 is still one of the best passers in the NHL's modern era, and a true feel-good story for the team too, the Leafs are stacked. Their power play in particular looks absolutely terrifying. Thornton feeding Matthews is like having a Barrett 50 cal with bullets designed and loaded by Leonardo da Vinci. It's a generational passer feeding a generational shot. And that's before you put Mitch Marner and Morgan Riley into the mix. The problem is, behind the big four forwards, there's not much scoring depth. Zach Hyman can fill in with the big boys and Thornton is a passing weapon. But away from the big four, they're considerably less effective. The Leafs' bottom six will basically be tasked with running a holding pattern until the big guns can get back out again. Defensively, the squad are nicely balanced though, with Riley joined by TJ Brody on the top pair, Jake Musin and Zach Bogosian providing a useful depth option, and Justin Hall and Travis Dermott rounding out the top six. All of this hinges on Frederick Anderson in net though. If he has a subpar season since last year, it could submarine the Leafs badly, especially with no real viable backup option, although Jack Campbell and Aaron Dell are not bad, they're not full-time starters, at least not on a team with the Leafs' ambition. And so all Toronto is asking one simple question. Is this the year, or will the Leafs somehow find a way to underachieve again? Moving from Ontario all the way out west now to Vancouver, a season of change out west has seen a new potential starter in net in Braden Holtby, though he'll more likely platoon with Thatcher Demko, and optimism that the Canucks could well be becoming a power again, driven mainly by the frightening talents that are Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, two of the best young players in the league. Put them with Brock Boza and Bo Horvat, neither of whom are exactly grizzled vets themselves, and this is an exciting squad. The trouble is, behind the sizzle of the core, the Canucks are, well, average. 
Their bottom six forwards are among the weakest in the league, and defensively behind Hughes, there's a mix of good but not great players like Tyler Myers and Alex Edler, those with questions to answer like Oli Uelevi, and actively bad ones by NHL standards. Picking up Travis Hamannick on the eve of the season is huge for the Canucks' defence and suddenly makes them look a lot better. It could be the move of the off-season. At this point, though, there are more unknowns than knowns in Vancouver. We know who the elite talent is, but we don't know how the goaltending will hold up. We don't know if the bottom six can be better than it was last year. We don't know how good the defence can be as a unit. And that's why this season for the Canucks, like most in the North Division, could be anything from a joy to a nightmare. We finish off our preview of the North Division or the Canadian Division in Manitoba with the Winnipeg Jets. I'm going to make a bold prediction now. The Jets are going to likely miss the playoffs this year despite having three of the league's elite goal scorers on the team and last year's Vezina Trophy winner in goal. Yes, I know that's bold, but Blake Wheeler, Mark Scheifele and Patrick Lenny can't single-handedly score this team into the playoffs in a divisional format where teams will key in on them night after night. And the rest of the team isn't really good enough to back them up. Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor are the next options in line, and with a defence led by Josh Morrissey that's steady but not spectacular at either end of the ice, Connor Hellebutt will be leaned upon a lot to keep teams out while the big three try their best to score more than they give away, and over a 56-game season playing elite offensive teams like the Leafs and deep and relentless attacking teams like the Canadians night after night, that is an incredibly tall order. The bottom six in particular for the Jets aren't elite defensively and don't score goals either, which is going to be the biggest issue for them. And if Hellebuck has to miss an extended number of games, forget those playoff hopes. The Jets will be scrapping with Vancouver, Edmonton and Calgary for the bottom two playoff spots behind Toronto and Montreal. And with two of those teams missing out, it's likely the Jets will be one unless they can find a way to look beyond their big three scorers and improve their team depth. And now the final division in our NHL playoff preview. It is the Wild West, starting with the Anaheim Ducks. The Ducks are far from the powerhouse they were in the late noughties. This is a team in the midst of a rebuild with a torrid few years under their belts. And yet they still have a playoff shot, mainly due to having John Gibson in net, who is unquestionably an elite talent. In front of him, the defence, with names like Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson and Cam Felder should be good, but it hasn't been the past few years. Indeed, it's one of the worst defences in the league. However, the addition of Kevin Shattenkirk after his redemption year in Tampa could be a massive shot in the arm to the Ducks' top four. The big name to watch in Anaheim this year, and possibly the single greatest X-factor in the league this season, though, is Trevor Zegras. After his dominant performance at the World Juniors, there is Calder Trophy buzz building around him, and if he can even come close to a Calder Trophy level campaign, the 18-year-old could be that push into the playoffs the Ducks need. Certainly, with the rest of the forward cast around him nothing to write home about, Ducks' top line would be a second line on most playoff teams, for example, the stage is there for Zegras to take this team by the scruff of the neck if he wants to, with other young talent like Max Jones, Sam Steele and Troy Terry still waiting for a breakout year. The Ducks may not make the playoffs this year, at least partly due to being one of the teams that's more often being beat up upon than doing the beating. But if John Gibson plays like the best goalie in the world again and Zegras follows his monster world juniors with a similarly huge rookie year, they just might. From Anaheim to Arizona. 
The Yotas are in a somewhat fortunate position in an absolute murderer's row of a division in that in order to make the playoffs they don't have to be one of the best teams, they just have to be better than their immediate rivals and those right now are Anaheim, LA, San Jose and Minnesota, all of whom the Yotas can match. With an elite goalie tandem in Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, Arizona will always have a chance to win games. On the blue line, the Yotis have a solid top six. Oliver Ekman-Larsen is excellent at both ends of the ice. Jacob Chitron is becoming a top-tier talent. And the supporting cast of Nicholas Yalmerson, Jason Demers and Alex Goligoski is not one to be sniffed at. Up front, though, there are signs of real interest happening. The top line of Kessel, Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland will always be dangerous and behind them come Nick Schmaltz, Clayton Keller and likely Barrett Hayton with Derek Brassard, a clever third line signing, shoring up a bottom six which isn't the best, particularly the fourth line. Given a fair wind, the Yotes can make the playoffs, although whether they'll go further than the first round is up for debate. Certainly all the models say they'll be in the playoff dogfight towards the bottom of this division. But for a team whose goal this season is simply making the playoffs in a powerhouse of a division, that might be enough. From the Coyotes, let's talk about arguably not just the powerhouse of the division, but of the whole NHL right now, the Colorado Avalanche. They are terrifyingly good. Many have them as Stanley Cup favourites, and with one of the best top lines the NHL has seen in years powering them, that's a reasonable assumption to make. Nathan McKinnon isn't just the best player on the Avalanche, he might be the best player in the NHL going into this season. But we'll get to the top line, let's start with the weak spot at the back. Philip Grubauer is the Avs starter this season and he was the 21st best goalie in the NHL last year. That's all you need to know about where the Avs' potential weakness is. However, they have the puck so often it might not matter. In front of him the defence is full of players any other team would love to have, but the eye is drawn to the incredible puck moving talents of Sam Girard, new signing Devon Taves and the jewel in the crown, Kael McCarr. If you haven't seen Kael McCarr play yet, do so now. There are a few more exciting players in the league and remember we're talking about a defenceman here. His passing is of a level rarely seen in the NHL and his skating too is incredible. It seems silly to say that he's the underrated star of a team that also contains Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen but on a team with such star power it almost seems appropriate. Up front there's nothing that can be said about the Avs top line that hasn't been said many times by anybody else. Rantanen and McKinnon mesh perfectly along with Gabriel Landeskog and the depth behind them Nazem Kadri, Brandon Saad, Tyson Yost to name but three mean that the Avs can pick any three players to go out at forward and they'll likely be a dangerous group. That's the mark of a true contender. The Avs can go as far as they want this season. Whether that's all the way to the Stanley Cup remains to be seen. From one of the best teams in the league in Colorado we go to one of the worst in LA. The LA Kings aren't very good while in the midst of a rebuild and this year even with the addition of Quinton Byfield and the likely coming of age of another high draft pick in Gabriel Villardi, the Kings forward group is a mess. Dustin Brown is a spent force, Andrew Kopitar is an elite player but at this point might well be on the verge of being considered trade deadline bait for another top pick or rebuilding package and behind those few there's a whole lot of nothing forward wise with only Andreas Athanasiou a possible wildcard. Defensively too, the Kings are in the mire of a rebuild. Drew Doughty is not the player he was, whatever his protestations to the contrary, and the most exciting players around him are a 19-year-old Swede in Tobias Bjornfot and the unknown quantity that is Matt Roy. In net, Jonathan Quick has almost become a punchline after the infamous Kings signing announcement of that's 10 years of our goalie being better than yours. He isn't anymore. Cal Peterson is the new man in net in LA if they want to win, as he's played far better during his time in net. 
but given the Kings are still in a rebuild, expect Quick to still get a ton of starts as they go for another high pick this off-season. Short of a historically good season from Kopitar and Doughty, this NHL season is all about getting through the bumps on the journey in Los Angeles. From LA, we move up north to Minnesota and a team disproportionately affected by the NHL realignment this season in the wild. They have a good team, a deep team that does a lot of things decently well, but decently well isn't going to cut it in the Wild West alongside three powerhouse squads like Colorado, St. Louis and Vegas, who will likely take three of the four playoff spots, and so they're in a dogfight with Arizona for playoff scraps. They're well set for it though, built from the back, with two of the elite shutdown defenders in the league in Jonas Brodin and Jared Spurgeon, alongside two-way mainstays Matt Dumber and Ryan Suter, who although ageing now can still contribute a lot. Carson Soucy and Brad Hunt are one of the strongest bottom pairs in the league, and they give great support to Cam Tolbert, who takes away from Devin Dubnik in net. Tolbert is not an elite starter, but with that defence in front of him, he merely needs to be good enough. Up front, Matt Zuccarello's injury is a big loss for the Wild, but Zach Parise can still put the puck in the net, Joel Eriksonek and Jordan Greenway are underrated talents, and Kevin Fiala is set for a huge breakout year, so the positives outweigh the negatives. Having Nick Bonino as the top-line centre is not ideal, but it is what it is, and similarly, the Wild are what they are, neither especially great, nor especially bad. Defensive efficiency is what the Wild will need to carry themselves to the playoffs, and once there, assuming they make it, all bets are off. But in the dogfight of the West, getting there will be the key. From Minnesota, we go back to California for the third Californian team, the San Jose Sharks. Like their Californian neighbours, they're a team transitioning and looking for a window that may have already closed, despite their team having star power defensively and a lot of expensively acquired weapons in their armoury. Martin Jones remains an anchoring goal, a goalie being paid far more than he's worth, the league's second worst starter last season, and with only the player below him, Devin Dubinick, as a full-back option. Defensively, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson lead the charge forward, but it's what's backing them up that's the problem. Mark-Edouard Vlasic is not the player he was, and names like Radim Simek following him mean that the best option for the Sharks defensively might be untried NHL talent like OHL offensive star Ryan Merkley, with all the uncertainty that will bring. Up front, the Sharks still have franchise icon Patrick Marlowe, top-line centre Logan Couture and Timo Meyer, along with Thomas Hertel and Ivan Kane to bring joy to their fans, but behind them are a whole lot of unknowns. Dylan Gambrell is perhaps the foremost among these, but the bottom six is a lot of uncertainty for the Sharks right now, and with a lot of expensive vets on the team, there's not much room for improvement. It also means that the Sharks may well be sellers come deadline day if they're out of the playoffs. Sharks fans, like the rest of California, should probably be preparing for the worst this season based on the makeup of the division after finishing 29th in the NHL last year. But we've seen turnarounds before. It's just going to be even more surprising than most if the Sharks do so. We're coming to our final two teams in our NHL preview and we finish with two of the best in the league, starting with the St. Louis Blues. One season removed from a Stanley Cup, the Blues are likely to be running Colorado close at the top of the West once again. The Blues have built a team so balanced that even losing Alex Petrangelo, one of the NHL's elite defencemen, to a division rival this season no less, hasn't really knocked them off stride. They simply went out and got the next best available defenceman, Tory Krug, to replace him. Krug is the number one defenceman on a group that also includes defensive god Colton Pareko and the luxury item that is Vince Dunn on the third pair, so there are a few worries here. 
In net, though, Jordan Binnington having a bad season is the one thing that could derail the Blues. He's a very good goalie, but unlike previous seasons, there's no backup plan if he struggles because Philly Husso is unconvincing at NHL level so far. Up front, the Blues have added Mike Hoffman for power play lethality and Ryan O'Reilly continues to be an elite forward. The supporting cast up front means the team is still a contender even without Vladimir Tarasenko to start the year, which should tell you just how good a group it is. Braden Shen is an elite supporting cast player and Rob Thomas is set for a huge breakout year between Hoffman and Jaden Schwartz on the second line, with role players like Tyler Bozak rounding the team out. The Blues aren't quite on the Avalanche's level and there are questions on how they'll do if Binnington does regress or get injured, but this is still a team that will likely make some serious noise in the playoffs and it will be a shock if they don't get out of the first round, never mind miss the playoffs altogether. They'll be playing Gloria in St Louis for a while yet. And so here it is, the last team in Puck and Cover's epic NHL preview. And we're finishing strongly with Vegas Golden Knights, a team with strong netminding in the tandem of Robin Lehner and proven winner Marc-Andre Fleury, the top free agent defenceman arrival and elite talent Alex Petrangelo, alongside another elite talent in Shea Theodore, and a forward group full of talent both known and relatively unknown. The Golden Knights have built a contender from the off even in the Hunger Games that is the Pacific Division, helped by the glitz and glamour of one of the most sparkling cities in the world. This season is no different. We've mentioned the stars in net and defensively already, but right down through the lineup, the Golden Knights are, well, golden. Up front, the Golden Knights have Chandler Stevenson as their top line centre, which is a big leap from his usual fourth line role in his career so far. But then again, he's flanked by two of the best wingers in the league in Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Vegas' second line of William Carlson, John Marchessault and Riley Smith is the best second line in the NHL. And depth pieces like Alex Tooch and the exciting development of Cody Glass mean they can roll a good trio whoever's on the ice. The Golden Knights are not as good as the Avalanche, but they are at least as good as the Blues, and in this division that pretty much guarantees them a top three spot. From there, we've seen how Vegas treats the playoffs and their pedigree in an admittedly short time, and given they'll likely finish second or third and face St. Louis in the divisional round, anything from the first round on is a coin flip, but that's purely due to the abnormal strength of this division. And with that, the Wild West is done, and also, along with it, Puck and Cover's NHL preview. Everything you need to know about every team in the NHL delivered in 90 seconds or less. That's about it from us. Coming up in the next edition next week, we'll be looking back on the first week of NHL action. Hockey Virgins Ryan and Amy will be back. And most importantly, we'll be taking an in-depth look at the NWHL ahead of them starting their bubble season in Lake Placid. Until then, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at puck underscore and underscore cover. Enjoy the NHL's return and we'll see you soon. Until then, stay safe and thanks for listening.